Amen. How many of you are excited about Jesus Christ? Yeah. Amen. I am too, and I'm excited about this teaching that we're doing. Before we get started, we're going to make our confession, uh, and then we're going to jump right into uh, kind of where we were on last week. It was amazing because um, sometimes God will give you a word, and if you're obedient to that word, it really will bless you and other people. And I can't tell you the number of people who sent me messages who weren't at church last week, but who either heard it on the uh, live stream, or they, they listened to it later on the, on the broadcast and talked about how they needed to hear that word to reassure them of some things. How many of you know the devil's job is to come and to cause you to doubt what, is, what it is that God has said for you? Amen? That's his whole job. His whole job is to, he, he, he understands he can't take something from you, but he understands that he can plant enough seeds of suggestion that he can get you to cast away that which God has promised you. Amen? It's the same way it worked with Adam and Eve. How many of you know that they were already the children of God? They were already, they, 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 there's no way they could have been any more of the children of God. But the, but the enemy came and he says to the woman, he says, God told you not to partake of this or God told you not to have something or God's trying to keep something from you because he knows that if, he do, if, 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 you, if you eat of this, you'll be just like him. Tell your neighbor, say, neighbor, I don't have to do anything contrary to the word of God. Because once I got saved, I became just like him. That's right. So I don't have to chase anything. I don't have to chase anything false. I don't have to chase after false things, trying to be more like God or trying to get the thing that God has. I am just like God. Amen. Because I've been born again and I've been encapsulated in that incorruptible seed. So if you have your Bible or your phone or your tablet or whatever you have, you don't have to stand. Just go ahead. Just hold it up in the air, whatever you need to do. And let's make this confession. Say, Father God, say, I declare that this is my Bible. Say, it is what it says I am. Say, I can have what it says I can have. And I can do what it says I can do. Say, I am a believer. Say, I am not a doubter. Say, I am a doer and not just a hearer. Say, in my life, life is the better better after having heard heard the word of faith. faith. Say, faith comes comes by hearing hearing and hearing and hearing hearing by the word of God. God. Amen. 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 I believe I'm anointed to teach you this morning. I said, I'm anointed to teach you this morning. I believe you are anointed to learn. Amen. Praise God. So let's get into this. Last week, I want to just do a quick recap. We started with three scriptures. We started with Galatians chapter 4, verse 1 through 7, and we started with Romans chapter 8, verse 15 through 17, and Galatians chapter 3, verse 29. And when we started with those scriptures, we started there because they kept using this word that we defined last week, and the word was air. And we kept using, we kept looking at this word because they kept declaring over and over that we were heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Amen? Say, I am. An heir of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. So let's look at these scriptures real quick. Galatians chapter 4, verse 1 says, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all. It says, But he is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the Father. Even so, we, when we were children, We were in bondage under the elements of the world. It says, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law 
to redeem them, that's you and I, that were under the law, that we might receive what? The adoption of what? Sons. It says, and because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into where? Your hearts, whereby we get to cry what? Abba, Father. Verse 7, it says, wherefore thou art no more a servant, praise the Lord, but we are what? Son. And if a son, then we are what? Heir of God through who? Jesus Christ. Now, we talked on last week and we said that this is a powerful scripture because what it says is there was a time in our lives where you and I were in this world and we were subject or we were in bondage to the elements of the world. In other words, you and I were subject to whatever it is the devil wanted to do to us because we weren't connected to God. We may have thought we were in control, but we were never really in control. The devil was in control. He says, but then when the fullness of time came, Jesus sent his son. And then when the fullness of time came for you, you accepted his son. He said, and when you did that, God took the same spirit, hear me, the same spirit that was in Jesus Christ, and he stepped into your heart. Amen. Not a diluted version of Jesus, but the same spirit that was in Jesus, he put in you. He said, and because the same spirit is now in you, you're no longer a servant, but you become a child or a son of God. He says that when you become a son of God, then you're no longer a servant. You're no longer in bondage to the devil. You're free from him, and you become an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. Amen. Say this this morning. Say, I am, I am not, in not in bondage to the devil. To the devil. Say, sin, sin has, has no, control no control over my life. Over my now, somebody give God some praise for that. I didn't say you didn't sin. I didn't say you didn't mess up sometimes. What I said is you're not in bondage to it. Then it's impossible for you to be in bondage to it. You can fellowship with sin. But as a born again believer, you're not in bondage to it. When you're in bondage, you can't break away. When you're in fellowship, you can walk away. Sometimes we find ourselves in fellowship with sin because we like the benefits of what sin brings us. But the Bible says as a son of God, we don't deal with things that are not like God. So if today you will find yourself in fellowship with sin, tell it goodbye. Just say, I'm not doing, sin can't hold, people are like, oh, I wish I could stop doing drugs. You can. When you connect with Jesus Christ, drugs can't hold you. I, I wish I could quit being so mean. You can. If you connect to somebody who ain't mean, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Jesus ain't mean. If you, if you understand your connection with Jesus, you can stop being mean. You can stop being depressed. You can stop being in bondage. Why? Because you're no longer a servant to bondage. Amen. And then we read in Romans chapter 8, verse 15 through 17. And here's what it says. It says, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, whom by we cry, Abba, Father. We just saw that in Galatians. It says, the spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified with him. And that's the reason that sometimes we have to understand that you and I will go through things. You and I will have to face difficult times. We don't face difficult times because God's trying to punish us. We face difficult times because difficult times is part of what happens when you are a son of God. But just like Jesus overcame, if the same spirit is in Jesus, guess what you'll do? Overcome. Say, I am, I am. an overcomer. Now, you said that one for me. You ought to say this one for you. Say, I am, I am an, overcomer. an overcomer. And when you are an overcomer, then there's no quitting you. Amen. There's no give up. There's no cave in in you. 
Why? Because you understand that what you may be going through today is just temporary because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And then we look at the Galatians chapter 3, verse 29. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 29, it says, And if you are Christ, say, I am Christ. I belong to him. Amen. He says, And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. That was the last song they sung. They said, You are the seed of Abraham. Seed of Abraham, you are entitled to the inheritance that came to Abraham and to all of his seed afterward. Amen. How many of you know that if you are a child of the Waltons or if you are a grandchild or even a great grandchild of the Waltons, there's some things that are entitled that you get that other folk don't get because it's part of their what? Inheritance. And so we talked about this on last week. We said that in order for there to be an inheritance, in order for there to be a will and testament, somebody has to what? Die. And we said, who was the person who died for us? Jesus Christ. And when he died, he was, we were joint heirs with him. We was heirs of God. Literally, what he did is he connected us to that inheritance. So when they sing the song that says, get your inheritance, all they're really saying is recognize what God has left you. Amen. Tell your neighbor, say, you got to recognize, recognize what God, what God has, left you. has left you. And the only way to recognize what God has really left you is to read his word. It's like if you go to an attorney and, and, and they're getting ready to read the last will and testament. You're listening to the attorney because you know that whatever he says was left to you. The moment he says it, it what? Belongs to you. The moment you read the promises of God, guess what? They belong to you. The Bible says all of the promises of God are what? Yes and amen. So if I understand that, then the things that God has promised me, like good health, a good marriage, financial prosperity, well-being, all of those things belong to me. Amen. And so if I find myself living without those things, I got to say it ain't God's fault. Now, that's a difficult task. Most people like to blame God. But how do you know if God left you an inheritance? If you don't have the inheritance, it's because you haven't claimed the inheritance. Understand, if I die and I leave all my money to my wife and kids and it's a lot of money, but they still live in poverty, I'm gone. I can't do nothing about that. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father. He's done everything he needed to do to put us in position so that we can live the best life ever. If we're not living that best life, then we've got to figure out what's happening. And for most of us, it's because we don't know what we're entitled to. And most of the time, it's because the devil has told us we're not entitled to it. Family members have told us we're not entitled to it. Environment has told you not entitled to it. Society has said, well, because you're black, you're not entitled to it. Because you're a woman, you're not entitled to it. Because you don't have a degree, you're not entitled to it. Because you're this, because you're that. But how many know God didn't put any of those stipulations on his inheritance? The only stipulation on the inheritance is that you are a son of God. And so we talked about that word last week, the word heir. It said uh, heir is a person who is legally entitled to the property or the rank of another upon that person's death. And then as we talked about that, well, I got into talking about the two aspects of our inheritance. This is one of those things that I told you last week to write down. If you didn't, you got another chance. You should write this down. Understand that our spiritual inheritance in God is extremely important to us as believers because it does two things. Number one, it defines our position in God. And number two, it defines who we are in God. You need to know about your position in God, but you also need to know who you are in God. Amen. And that's important because when you understand your position and your rank with God, then you don't allow the things that the devil says to you to cause you to lose out of that position. 
you and I must understand that those two things work inseparably for us to understand the full magnitude of our inheritance. We read in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18 through 20, where the apostle Paul is talking to the church of Ephesus, and he says to them, he says, I'm praying that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of, your, of his calling, what are the riches of his glory, of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us. Believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places. Paul says, when he was talking to the church of Ephesus, he says, listen, you guys are a powerful church. He said, but you keep letting all these things talk you out of how powerful you are. He says, my prayer for you is the eyes of your understanding would open up that you would see everything God has made available to you. The riches of his glory, the power that works on the inside of you. Tell your neighbor, say, neighbor, neighbor you, you are not, are not powerless. powerless. Listen, I want you to understand, there's a lot of crazy stuff going on in our country, but as believers, we are not powerless. There's a lot of bad stuff happening in our country, but, to, but as believers, we are not powerless. I, I hate when I hear people say, well, all I can do is pray. No, what you should do first is pray. Right. Tell your neighbor, say, prayer, prayer. is not, not a last resort. It is, it is. A, first, a first option. A first it's got to be a first option. We can't be like, well, I done tried all this stuff, and now I'm going to pray. It's like, well, prayer is the last thing I do. Prayer should be the first thing that we do if we believe in the power of it. Right. And so then we started talking about our position. We said you got to know your position and you got to know how to position yourself to make plays. And I tried to use a, a football analogy. I shared it with Jimmy afterwards, and he said I got it right, so I'm going to use it again. <laughs> you you got to have somebody who knows something about football to tell you, right? So, so what I was saying last week is that it's really important that you understand that this, is, that this journey we're on is like, a, it's like, a, it's like a game, you know? And in a football game, the quarterback calls the play. And when the quarterback calls the play, he's got these receivers out there, and they're all running these different routes based on what he's called. In our life, Jesus is our quarterback, amen? The Holy Spirit is our quarterback. He's calling the play. He's telling us, here's what you need to do. Now, in a football game, there's a, there's a defensive line. The defensive line is coming at the quarterback. Their job is to stop the quarterback from making the play. Now, how many of you know that for you and I, the, the, the defensive line is the world? It's the thing trying to jam us. It's the thing that's trying to stop us. It's the thing that's trying to make us think, well, this isn't going to happen. Well, at the end of the day, the quarterback is not concerned about where everybody is trying to go. He's going to throw the ball to where they're supposed to be. And for us, if God tells us to do something, but then the world jams us up and we decide to go left, we're supposed to go right. God's not throwing the ball left. He's going to throw it where it's supposed to be. And so you and I have to understand that in life, we don't have the to just go a different route and expect God to show up. You and I don't have the option to make a decision and say, well, this is what I'm going to do. Now, God, you need to get on board. Right. <laughs> he, the Bible says he is the author and the finisher of our faith. And so, therefore, when we get the play, we got to do what it is God's told us to do. Amen? Tell your neighbor, say it's important, it's important. To, be to be in position. And then we talked about knowing who you are in Christ. We said it's important for you to know who you are in Christ because you've been given the mind of Christ. When you've been given the mind of Christ, that means you don't necessarily think like the world. Amen. Everything that makes sense don't make sense to God. Amen? There, there's, a lot, there's a lot of common sense stuff. And I ain't against common sense unless it's against what God has said. For instance, common sense says it doesn't make sense for me to give money to church when I don't have enough money to take care of my bills. But I've lived by the principle that render unto God what is God's and God will take care of the rest. And I've seen him do it in my life. 
So, so it doesn't make common sense, but I try to God's way and I try the common sense way and I always end up better doing it God's way. And, and in your life, see, see, common sense says is that when your wife says something to you that ain't right, you tell her about herself. God sometimes will tell you to shut your mouth. He'll say, don't say that to her. Don't say that like that. Ooh, just don't say nothing at all. But common sense says, no, I got to defend myself. I got to tell her that that ain't right. And, then you, blah, 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 blah. and next thing you know, you're on the couch. Because <laughs> common sense isn't always the way God wants you to operate. The Bible even tells us God uses the things. Of, it says God, God uses things to confound those who think they're wise. And so it's important for you and I to make sure that we're following God, that we have the mind of Christ. Second Peter 1, 3 through 4. It says, as his divine power, I love this, has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Now, if you just stopped at that scripture right there, God's given us all things to pertain to life and godliness. You should never feel like you're in this world without hope. You should never feel like you are in this world and there is no hope and, 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 and nothing's going to work out. If you got God on your side, it says he's given you all things to pertain to life and godliness. It says through the knowledge of him, that means you got to get to know God, who called us by glory and virtue. He says by which we have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. God says there are things in the world that you and I would get to escape from when we recognize who we are in Christ. There are certain things you don't have to stand for. There are certain things you don't have to accept. That's like if the Lord, if the Lord tells you, uh, did you and, I, and I tell people this all the time because I've seen it happen in my life. If God tells you that a particular job belongs to you, even if you're not qualified for the job, if God says apply for it, you should apply for it. I, we are talk ourselves out of it. We're like, well, I don't, it says 10 years experience. I don't have a six. It says I got to have a master's. I just have a bachelor's. Listen, God already knows what he's going to do. I live by that. God already knows. So if God tells me to apply for a job, and I'm just using that as an example, but if God tells me to apply for a job that I may not fully qualify for, if God tells me to apply, I apply because he already knows what he's going to say to the people on the interview committee. He already knows how he's going to move their heart. He already knows what he's going to do. The problem is, is that sometimes we talk ourselves out of what God has for us before we ever show up. Right. And so we got to make sure that when we know who we are in Christ, we have to understand that what works for other people, we, may, we have supernatural things that work for us. When, when, when the Bible says this, and people, people used to argue with me, but the Bible says this, and, and I remember Sister Sandy preached this message one time, and she said, God makes a difference between us and them. And you need to realize that as a child of God, God makes a difference between us, who are children of God, and them, who are not children of God. Doesn't mean he doesn't love us all, but there's a different covenant connection. Yes. Don't you love children? Mm -hmm. But do you buy school clothes for all children? You buy school clothes for it maybe somebody you know real good. But for the most part, you, you make a difference between your kids and other folk kids. Amen. I belong to God. Hallelujah. Amen. He's making a difference. He's making a difference right now between me and them. That's right. Amen. Amen. 
There are some things that are happening for me that don't happen for other people because he makes a difference between me and them. And all they got to do is to become a them and the same thing will happen for them. Just join us. Amen. That's why we don't make apologies for when God blesses us. It's why we, it's, it's why we don't make apologies when people go, well, why don't nobody tell church get sick? Because we serve a God who's a healer. He makes a difference between us and them. If you don't want to be sick all the time, join the healer. Amen. 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 I told you last week about 1 Samuel 14. It's the story of Jonathan and Jonathan and his armor bearer and how they won this great victory for the nation of Israel. And then in the beginning of the story, Jonathan steps out by faith on what he knew God had told him to do. And then he helped uh, win this position or this battle, not because um, it looked like he was going to win at first, but because he was willing to try. And there in your life, if you are a child of God, when God says move, you don't have to know what it looks like to move. You just have to be willing to do what? Move. Tell your neighbor, say, neighbor, you don't need finishing grace until you start. A lot of people want God to do all this stuff for them, but you sitting on the couch. You got to move first. You got to do what God's told you to do. You got to do those things first. And once you step out, then God will make the second, path, the second step clearer. He may not make the fifth one clear until you get to the fourth step. But your willingness to step is what causes your faith to grow. Amen? Amen. And so then we talked about how the scriptures told us on last week. We, it was three things. We used Romans chapter 8, verse 37. It says that we are more than conquerors in him. And then we, we used 2 Corinthians 2 and 14. Where it says he always leads us in triumph. And then we use Philippians 4.13, where it says we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And we said that when we build our life on those three pillars, on those foundations, there is nothing that we can't do. Amen. That when you understand, number one, that you are more than a conqueror. You are not a conqueror. You are more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. That, that, that means there are, there are things and here, here's, here's the thing. Here's what happens when you walk in the fullness of your sonship. There are things that will happen to you, and people will be so amazed at how you dealt with it that they will minimize the trauma that came to you. And when they minimize the trauma, what they're really doing is minimizing the devil who brought the trauma. And when they're magnifying your strength, what they're really doing is magnifying the God who made you strong. And so there, there are many times that we're trying to escape troubles, but if you will take a trouble and face it head on, the victory that you get out of it and the victory it brings to someone else can be astronomical. Why? Because it's important that people see that other people like you go through things too. But just because you go through it don't mean it takes you under. And people need to see, whoa, wait a minute, you mean to tell me that you battled with that, that you dealt with that? That's the reason the Bible tells us to share our testimonies. It's the reason that we shouldn't always, I tell people all the time, listen, I, I, I don't glorify in who I used to be, but I don't try to keep it under wraps either. Because some folk need to know that if God can do a work in me, he can show enough to do a work in you. And so it's important for us to understand. It's why Pastor Sean and I, people laugh at us sometimes, but it's why we talk about the marital problems we used to have years ago. Somebody say years ago, years ago, years ago, years ago. We used to talk about, we talk about those things. Why? Because if we talk about it, then people are like, oh, dang, well, if Pastor Edwin and Pastor Sean used to cuss each other out, maybe it's hope for me. 
Look at your neighbor and say, years ago, years ago, years ago. Let me get back up here around this podium. We talked about there being two aspects of our inheritance. We said there's an eternal aspect and there's a here and now aspect. The eternal aspect says that when we're a child of God, that we're going to go to heaven. Amen? How many of you know heaven is real? Amen. Amen. And how many of you know we're going there? Amen. I, I'm going there. Amen? And the Bible says I can be sure of it because when I was born, that God, that God uh, shed his blood for me. He's, God sent his son who shed his blood for me and that in doing so, I was born of an incorruptible seed. That means that there ain't nothing coming to pick me off and take me to hell. Amen. I might make some mistakes along the way, but my salvation is secure. Amen. And so since my salvation is secure, I don't spend all my time preaching messages about trying to get you to heaven. Amen. I ain't trying to scare you in, in, out, of, out of hell and into heaven. What I do want to spend time talking about is how do you reach up and use the benefits of your salvation while you're here on earth. And so that's what we want to talk about this morning. We want to talk about the spiritual inheritance that you have in the here and now. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 through 14. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 through 14. It says, In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth. How many of you have heard the word of truth? Amen? Amen. You've heard Amen. the word of salvation. You've accepted. Amen? He says, In him also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. He says, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance unto the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. In other words, what he says is this, is that if you have believed the truth, and when we talk about truth, we're talking about truth being that God, that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. Amen. And when you believe in that truth, he says, literally, the Holy Spirit comes and seals you with the promise of the inheritance that, a that was belonging to Abraham and to all of his seed. So you have to understand that when you are a child of God, the inheritance that the Bible speaks of, it belongs to you. Now people are going to freak out about this, but it's true. Regardless of your behavior. That's hard for people. That's difficult because people say, well, how can, I, how can I get something if my behavior is bad? Well, the Bible says you can look at a natural situation and glean spiritual things from it. If you were to die today and you left an inheritance to your children and there was no stipulation in that inheritance, in that, in that will and testament, that they had to act a certain way to get it. It just said it belonged to them. Then regardless to how they behave, by law, it belongs to them. Jesus didn't say, I leave you an inheritance if you don't act a fool. <laughs> he didn't say that. Now, what, am I advocating you to act anyway? Not at all. And if you understand the love of God, you understand you don't want to act a fool. You don't want to disappoint God. If you, got, if, you, if you got somebody in your life who you really love, are you spending all your time thinking about how you can disappoint them? No. no. You, you just don't. You spend your time thinking of how to make the relationship better. Well, the same thing is true. If we love God, we ain't looking for opportunities to disappoint him. So we have to understand that there are times in our life as human beings that we will blow it. Tell your neighbor, say neighbor. neighbor. Understand. 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 There are times, there are times in, your in your life that you, that you will, blow will blow it. You might as well just accept it, okay? You're going to mess up something. Time. That's the reason he sent Jesus to be redemption for us so when I mess up, I can get back on track. That's why he sent a Savior. Now watch this. 
I don't just go around messing up because when I mess up, it messes with my soul. And when my soul is affected, it, mess, it messes with what I believe I, when I read the word. Because human nature says this. It doesn't matter what you say. Your mind, your part, there's a part of you that's carnal. You're having to crucify it every day. So the carnal part of you, if you're doing something wrong, that's the part that the devil says, well, how are you going to ask God to do that for you? You know you ain't worthy of that. The way you act, you know, you, you just forfeited that. Now, the problem is, is that he can say it and it doesn't make it true. But guess what? If you believe it, it makes it true for you. You ever, heard the, you ever heard the saying, perception is reality? How many know perception really is reality? Not for everybody, but for you. Whatever you perceive, that's how you see it. It's real to you. So if you see it that you're not worthy, then it doesn't matter what the Bible says about you being worthy. So my job is to get you to understand that over all of your behavior, over all of your thinking, the word is true. That the word of God is what is true. And if you understand that, then understanding your sonship becomes a whole lot easier. I want to give you some keys to possess your inheritance. These are things you can write down if you need to. Here's how you possess your inheritance. Number one, you got to believe that it belongs to you. Number one, you got to believe that it belongs to you. If you believe what the word of God says about your inheritance and you being a son of God, it'll be difficult for you to obtain the things of God. Someone asked me one time, they said, why, why, why is receiving so easy for you? Or why is it so easy for you to pray for people and believe that they'll be healed? And I always say it has, it's two factors. Number one, I've seen it happen so many times. I, I, before I could ever explain it, I grew up in a church where a man who had an anointing for healing, and I saw him lay hands on people, and I saw them get healed. So, so it set up for me that healing was real. Number two, I read it in his word. And when you see something and hear something, it's easy to receive it. Amen. So that's the reason I encourage each and every one of you to have an experience with God. Not an experience with church. Church is great. But I encourage you to have an experience with God. Ask God to do something for you that blows your mind. Because when God does something for you and you get to see it and then you read where he promised it, nobody can talk you out of it. The problem with many believers is they've never had an experience. They, 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 they've heard about it. They've heard what other people say it, but they themselves have never had an experience. And if you've never had an experience, it's hard to fully comprehend something. It's like if, you, if you've never rode a roller coaster, okay? You, you've, never, you've heard about it. You've seen it. But if you've never ridden one, you don't know what it feels like to get that pit in your stomach when you drop that first 200 feet. Until you've experienced it, nobody can tell you what it's like. It's funny because I was talking, he, I don't know if he's in here, I was talking to Chase the other day, and Chase really likes football now, and he's getting pretty good at it according to his coach. But, 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 but when he was in second or third grade, he said this, and this is what he told us yesterday. He said, well, I always thought football, and don't y'all wrestling fans get mad at me. He said, I thought football was like wrestling. I thought it was fake. Y'all like, wrestling ain't fake. Okay, whatever. <laughs> He said, I thought football was like wrestling. He said, I thought they ran up to each other and kind of stopped and just kind of touched each other and fell down. He said, so when he was in the second or third grade, he went out there, he ran full speed, and he stopped, and the other kid didn't. <laughs> he said, the other kid laid him out. He said, he got out, he was crying. He was like, I don't want to do this. I don't like this. Why? He, why? he, he hadn't experienced it yet. 
And because he hadn't experienced it, watch this, he made it whatever he wanted it to be. So when you haven't experienced God, you make God into whatever you think he is. So, 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 So if you haven't experienced God, if you haven't experienced God, then you can equate God to almost being human. Because that's the only that's the only thing you got to grasp from. You 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 grasp and then you and then you take a God and put a God in a human box. Tell your neighbor, say God can never be contained in a human box. That's right. God is supernatural. And that's the reason if you ever have an experience with God, people can't talk you out of that supernatural experience. Number two, you got to cultivate a lifestyle of faith and obedience. If you want to experience the inheritance of God, you've got to cultivate a lifestyle of faith and obedience. The Bible says in Romans chapter 4, one of my favorite scriptures, Romans chapter 4, verse 20 through 21, it talks about Abraham. And here's what it says. It said that Abraham did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief. But he was strengthened in his, in his faith. One, one verse said he, is strong, he was strong in his faith. He gave glory to God and he was fully persuaded that what God has promised, he was faithful and just to perform. That's what you got to be. You cannot allow time to talk you out of promises. I'm going to say it again. You cannot allow time to talk you out of God's promises. How many of you know that typically when we pray, we want it to happen right then? That moment. It's like, God, I need you to bless me. Boom, we want to bless it. The reality of it is, is the Bible shows us so many people who waited. They had to have patience for God to do the thing that he did. Do you know that Noah took 125 years to build a boat? See, we, we, we used to watching YouTube stories, and it says on, on minute three that he, start, he got the word. And by minute five, the rock was, 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 the boat was in the water. It didn't happen that fast. Can you imagine living in a place where it had never rained before? It, there was no such thing. It had, water had never fallen from the sky. And they out there like, yo, Noah, what you doing? He's like, I'm building this boat. They're like, you fool, where's a boat? They, the Bible says they mocked him. Some of us can't take being mocked for five minutes, let alone 125 years. Because you know some of us got a quick clap back. You say something to us, and before you know, we done hit you about two, three times. <laughs> Noah would have been out there ragging on people if he was some of us. But he kept his patience. He kept his pace. He just kept building and kept building. They're like, what you doing with them animals? You know, taking them in all them animals. What you doing all that? And they're just laughing at him, laughing at him, until that rain started to fall. Yeah. And somebody said, what was that? Oh, what, what was that? And they start, they start running to the boat, and he, he, they died. <laughs> That's what the Bible said. That's what the Bible said. <laughs> they died. Why? You got to make sure you are in line with God. Amen? <laughs> So number one, you got to believe that it belongs to you. Number two, you got to cultivate a lifestyle of faith and obedience. Amen. Number three, you got to walk in strength and courage. You got to walk in strength and courage. Sometimes when you are when you are walking in your inheritance, you may have to walk alone. Noah had to walk alone. Abraham had to walk alone. There's a lot of people who had to walk alone because everybody's not going to always be your cheerleader. That's why the Bible says, that the word came to David, he told David, he said, you got to encourage yourself 
in the Lord. Sometimes you got to encourage yourself. There are times when you think the people who should be cheering you on, I call them well-intended fools. Well-intended fools will be one. They'll be like, you know what? You Maybe you shouldn't be believing God for that. Maybe you ought to just slow down. Maybe you ought to just calm down. Listen, if God has told you to do something, you don't confer any longer with flesh and blood. It's why as a pastor, when people come to me and they talk to me and they ask me a question, the first thing I always ask them is what? What did God say? Because I want to know if, if you believe in your heart that God told you something, then before I give you my advice, I want you to walk me through how you heard God. Because at the end of the day, I'm not God. And if you go, I tell people all the time, if I'm going to fail, I'm going to fail based on what I believe God said, not on what you said. I ain't saying I ain't going to fail, but if I fail, I ain't going to have you to blame. But look, some people love that. They come to you and ask you for advice. You tell them what to do, then they get mad and go off on you when it don't work. Well, like, hold on a minute. I ain't God. So that's why I say you always got to know what God told you to do. Amen? One of the things that God delights in is, is that of us presenting, is it presenting us with challenging circumstances that in the natural seem somewhat difficult. I think God loves when we find ourselves in those situations because it is an opportunity for you and I to put all of our weight on him, to put all of our trust on him. And then when we put all of our weight and all of our trust on God, then what we end up doing is we start seeing how, how miraculous God is. You, you never really know how strong somebody is until you have to totally depend on them. I'll give you a prime example. The Bible says we can look at natural things, right? How many of you know that if something tragic happened and you were, you, were, you, were, you were about to fall off a cliff and all you had on, all you had was your hand in somebody else's hand and they told you, don't, don't let go, I'm going to pull you up and they pull you up off that cliff and you don't die. How many know in your mind you think, oh, they're so strong? <laughs> now, you, you, what, you don't, now, why are you hanging there? Watch this. What you're not doing is go, well, how many bench presses have you done? Have you been eating healthy? Did you get your cardio in? You don't care about none of that. All you want them to do is what? Pull you up. So then why we question God? God's ready to pull us up out of some bad situations, but we want to talk about what God, why, 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 why are you questioning God? God, just pull me up. Just get me up off this cliff. So that's what happens when you walk in strength and you walk in courage. You understand that God is able to do all he said he could do. That's where your courage, that's where your strength comes from. Our courage and our strength is not in our own might. It's not in our own uh, well-being. It's not in what we can do. And listen, I know we're smart. we got enough degrees. We could plaster this wall in this church. Okay? I know that. But understand, having a degree don't make you wise. It doesn't make you wise. We encourage education, but at the end of the day, you've got to be able to hear God. What God says to you is, is what gives you fortitude. You know, I, re I remember the years that we drove to Conway, and people used to say to us, why are y'all driving to Conway? And I get it. I understand why they said it. We thought it ourselves sometimes. But what we knew, though, is that God told us to do it. And when God tells you to do something, it doesn't matter how ridiculous it looks to anybody else. You are charged with continuing to do it until God says something different. And most people let other people talk them out of what God has said. And then they sit back and the other people are living their dream and you're not living your dream because you was listening to them. So they live in a dream and you live in a nightmare because you refuse to just follow God. Tell your neighbor, say, it's my job to follow God. Number four, 
if you're going to receive, if you're going to walk in this inheritance, you got to give your life for it. You got to give your life for it. You can't hang on to your life and try to get the one God has too. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean, you can't have all these wonderful plans that you've decided and you want all of these wonderful things and then you also want what God wants when there's a contradiction. There's an old adage they used to say. It really didn't make a lot of sense to me, but I get it now. It says a bird in the hand is better than what? And literally, that's what we try to do sometimes. Instead of just grabbing hope to the life God has for us, we're trying to figure out what parts of this life I can get from God and what part of this life I can keep to myself. Let's just be honest. There are some stuff that God has told us to give up that we haven't given up yet because it's comfortable for us. You know, one of the, and how many know you just got to know yourself? If you don't know yourself, you, you, my wife says this all the time. She says, if everybody say the same thing about you, all them people ain't wrong. If, if every time you meet somebody, they say you difficult to deal with, it ain't the whole world. If everybody keep telling you they can't trust you, it ain't them with the problem. <laughs> you are trustworthy. And so you have to know yourself. So one of the things that I know about myself is that I can be a very nice person unless I think somebody is trying to do something to me. And then there's this little switch that says devil that gets turned. I have to keep that box locked. I have to practice keeping that box locked. Because if I don't, then what happens is, is that when I feel like somebody is doing something to me, I make sure I do something to them that they could never do something to me again. Now, y'all ain't going to admit it, but some of y'all like that too. The problem with that is I don't get God's best life doing it that way. So I can't grab hold to what God has for me and also try to leave this part of my life and still protect myself. So I have to be aware that that's who I am. So when I perceive that somebody doing something to me, I have to make sure I have a conversation. I have to go, wait a minute. Because I want to be clear. Now, did, did you mean to say that to me like that? Because then they go, oh, no, no, I didn't mean like that. I go, oh, okay, okay. And then the box stay locked. But if you don't practice whatever your thing is, <laughs> if you don't practice what your thing is, then you'll be trying to live God's life and your life. You understand? All right. Number five, if you're going to receive your inheritance, number five, you got to do whatever you do, you got to do it heartily. Whatever you do, you got to do it heartily. In other words, you got to give everything to it. Okay? So if you decide to live a life that's pleasing to the Lord, it can't be three days a week. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you can't be like, well, you know, like, 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 I don't know, like when you was in school, I don't know about you, I had friends who used to take class on Monday, Wednesday, Friday because they, want, they didn't want to go to school on Tuesday and Thursday because Tuesday and Thursday used to be longer days. You know, you know what I'm talking about? I did mine on Tuesday and Thursday. I figured if I got to get up and go, I don't care how long I'll be there, but I'll go to sleep Monday, Wednesday, Friday. So, okay? Because on Friday, you was out Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Monday. <laughs> uh-huh. I don't know about the these newfangled folk be taking these money with Friday. I never take no money with Friday class. <laughs> so you, whatever you do, you got to do it heartily. You got to give your all to it. So if I'm going to live for the Lord, I got to live for the Lord even when I'm at work. <laughs> I can't just live for the Lord when I come. 
I got to live for, I got to, watch this. Because this is the thing I used to have to remind myself. Because Taylor used to play basketball, right? If I'm going to live for the Lord, I got to live for the Lord at the AAU game. Right. Some of y'all got kids who participate in sports and, and, and gymnastics and dance. And sometimes folk don't treat them right. And that mama bear spirit come up out of you. Well, you got to remember, you still serve God. So you can't be fighting folk at the gym. <laughs> you can't be getting to fisticuffs at the gym and then talking about praise the Lord. Amen? So whatever you do, you got to do it heartily. The Bible says this in Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 and 24. It says, and whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance for you serve the Lord Jesus Christ. I tell people all the time, if you want to be a good representation of Christ on your job, show up on time. Do the work you're assigned to do. Have a good attitude. Don't cut corners. Because the Bible says whatever you do, you do it as unto the Lord. Don't go to work looking for ways not to work. I tell people all the time who work on my team, I, listen, if we spend as much time getting out of work as we do working, we'd be the most productive team in America. You know what I'm talking about. You show up at 8 o'clock, you go get coffee. No, you go get coffee at 7.50. That's hilarious. 8 o'clock, work start. Don't, 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 don't make me get stopped. You don't need to sharpen your pencils at 8. You sharpen your pencils at 7.50. Because at 8 o'clock, the work day starts. You don't, if you get off at 5, you don't start logging off at 4.30. There's nothing I hate worse than to walk to a store and they say, oh, we close at 9. It's 8.53. <laughs> you don't close yet. Well, we shut down. Not till after 9. The door says 9. <laughs> Whatever you do, you got to do it to the Lord. Amen. You got to make sure that you are doing things that represent Christ in a good way. Amen. Because it's part of our inheritance. Listen, let me, I'm, I'm going to end with this. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17 says this. It says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. That's all I'm saying. If we want to be people who represent Christ everywhere we go, we got to understand how Christ would operate if he was where we were. Yeah, that's, good. That's, that's really all it is. And I know we make fun of it sometimes, that WWJD thing, but it really is a question of what would Jesus do. Not just what would Jesus do, but how would Jesus do it? Because there's a lot of times where Jesus would rebuke people, but not the way we do it. Amen? And so it's important that we understand that we don't want to violate something that causes us this conflict about what our inheritance is. The Bible says in Daniel chapter 11, verse 32, the B part of it, it says, the people who know their God shall be strong and they shall do great exploits. They shall do great exploits. And the reality of it is, is that you and I ought to want to do great things for God. Yes. Not only do we want God to do things for us, but we should want God to do things in us and through us. Because when God does things in us, it makes us better people. Yes. When we become better people and God begins to do things through us, then we become what the Bible says, which is that light that can't be healed. We become that light that's on the hill that people look to, not for us, but to get to see Jesus Christ in us. Amen. Amen. God is God is wanting to do great things in our lives. 
So what we need to do is to put on the armor of light and be about our father's business. God wants to bless us in more ways than we can comprehend. God wants to bless us financially. God wants to bless us in our health. God wants to bless us in our families. Listen, God God wants us to to be blessed, to be influences on our jobs, in our communities, in our cities, in our schools. He wants to bless our children. God did not save us to have us to have a bad life, guys. He saved us to have a better life. But part of having that better life is understanding who we are and our position we have in him. The Bible says this. It says, as Jesus is in this world, so are we. Not, not, not so we would become. Not if we do everything right. He says, no, as a child of God, he says, as Jesus is, so are we. So our job is to be hearing from heaven so that we can recreate heaven on earth. And if we do that, I'm telling you, our life will be the better. Amen. Come on and give the Lord some praise this morning.